Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. Hello, and welcome to the SUFU podcast. I'm your host, Rena Malik, Assistant Professor of Surgery in the Division of Urology at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Today, I'm here with Dr. Casey Kowalik, Assistant Professor in the Department of Urology at the University of Kansas Medical Center. Welcome. Thank so- you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you recently finished fellowship at Vanderbilt and started in academics. So congratulations. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your journey to get where you are now. So I think I went to my first SUFU meeting as a PGY3 um, presenting research. And actually, I remember presenting my poster across from you. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) Advanced male sling. I was terrified, um, but I... Loved meeting you then. And then I think that's when I really fell in love with female and reconstructive surgery, um, just being surrounded by all these people that were really excited about what they do. Um, and then went back to residency, kind of continued to cultivate that interest, um, eventually applied for fellowships and I was really looking for a fellowship that would give me both a female and male experience. Um, and so that's why Vanderbilt was really a perfect fit for me and had a great experience there. Um, Really a whole variety of cases between neurogenic bladder and then female prolapse, incontinence, and then male stricture disease, ED. Um, So felt really comfortable um, just being able to manage a a wide variety of um, disease processes and and surgical um, surgeries. Great. Yeah, I think SUFU is really a great opportunity for residents to really learn about the field. And that is probably what sparked my interest of, and, and in addition to some great mentorship at my residency. Um, but, you know, tell me a little bit about what SUFU's meant to you. SUFU to me um, has always been a really exciting meeting. Um, not just the meeting, though, even year round, there's been a lot of support um, from SUFU. You know, going to the, um, well, it used to be in Chicago, um, the course there. Is the, it still in Chicago? Uh, last year was in Philadelphia. Okay. And I think the upcoming year might be in Chicago again. So it, it's been for many years in Chicago, although last year was in Philadelphia. Um, so, yeah, just that year-round um, support and camaraderie. And then the mentorship I've gotten, not even from, not even just from residency or fellowship, but other people, other programs have always been willing um, to reach out, be supportive, you know, discuss ideas, um, talk about my future. And so I think to me, it's really been the networking and um, meeting all of these great people um, through the through the meeting. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, so what advice would you have for some residents who are thinking about going through the FPMRS match or even doing just a one-year fellowship in FPMRS? What, what kind of advice would you have for them? Um, I think advice I would give to residents considering female is um, trying to identify mentorship either within your program. And then even if your program doesn't have female um, specific um, surgeons, that's okay. You can, you're still going to be fine going to fellowship. Um, You don't have to have that specific experience in order to still be a successful FPMRS fellow. 
But I do think the mentorship is important because it will help um, sort of guide you and help you navigate um, that process, the application process, and then getting started on some research projects um, is always very helpful too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think identifying people you connect with uh, by going to the preceptorship uh, and and finding mentors. If you come to the Sufu meeting, we're all very, very open and genuinely welcoming people, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's kind oh, of what, drew, yeah, mm-hmm. what drew me to the field was how welcoming everyone is. And so don't be afraid. Just go up to people and, and talk with them and try to develop those connections. Yeah. Introduce yourself and, um, you know, make those, yeah, like you said, connections and networking. Um, it's everyone's so nice. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. And you recently published a paper on toileting behaviors in women. What, what exactly is a toileting behavior? <laughs> so we, you know, we're interested in this um, topic because women, you know, we spend a significant portion of our day out of the house and we've all used the public restrooms And it's not always a pleasant experience. Yeah. (laughs) And then imagine if you had an overactive bladder and you're having to go to the bathroom every hour, every two hours, having to use that public restroom. And so we started digging into this and it turns out that Mary Palmer has been looking at this for years um, and had a a questionnaire that's already been validated. I'm looking at different um, subdivisions of toileting. So um, place preference for avoiding um, delayed voiding, straining to void, position preference, and then this concept of convenience voiding or voiding in the absence of a desire. Um, and so using that questionnaire as our kind of baseline, we then developed a um, more cohesive questionnaire, including the ICIQ uh, lower urinary tract symptom and then the ICIQ bowel symptom questionnaire. And then there were some open-ended questions about um Uh, public restrooms and their um, accessibility, usability, um, cleanliness, that type of thing. And we were able to distribute that to thousands of women using um, the Vanderbilt Research Notifications Distribution List, but then also this um, research match, which has been a great resource for distributing um, questionnaires, surveys, and getting great response rates back. Um, it's a free service that a lot of universities have. And um, we had over 7,000 women respond to the survey. Wow. Um, they didn't, That's impressive. Yeah. Honestly, when we first set out to do this, we were like, okay, how many responses do we think we'll get? We were like, we'll be so happy with 500. And then, <laughs> and then 7, when they started piling in, I was like, well, thank God we didn't say we were going to you know, send a gift card to every person that <laughs> responded. But no, it's been a great source of data and um, it's been really fascinating uh, learning about this. this well, that's, that's really cool. I would say, you know, I should look into my institution if we have that. And if you guys are in academics, probably look into it on your end if yeah. you have access to that. Because I find a lot of things that people don't even know about in my institution that uh, I have access to. So there's all sorts of things. That's mm-hmm. great that you had that. Um, and so what did you find? So we found that women do a lot of interesting things in the bathroom. <laughs> um, you know, I guess there's a lot of um, cultural, behavioral, environmental factors that influence the toileting behaviors. Um, but we specifically looked at women um, that were over the age of 18, 
up until our oldest um, respondent was 89 years old and looked at whether they perceived that they had a bladder problem or not. So this concept of a healthy bladder um, is becoming, you know, um, more popular in terms of how it, how it contributes to a woman's quality of life. And so we looked at their response um, specifically to the patient perception of bladder condition. And so those women that said they had no bladder problems, so they perceived themselves to have a healthy bladder versus women that reported any degree of having a bladder problem and compared their various toileting behaviors and found that women that had no bladder problems were more likely to sit when they peed or voided. Sorry, I should be more. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, this is for public consumption. <laughs> um, they were more likely to sit as opposed to hovering or squatting, um, which women that did have bladder problems were more likely to adopt those um, uh, voiding positions. Women with bladder problems were also more likely to delay their voiding and strain to void. Um, so, you know, this data, you can't identify a causal relationship since it's just cross-sectional data, but there was definitely associations between some of these, what we may call dysfunctional voiding behaviors, you know, delaying their, um, their urination despite having an urge um, with the perception of them also having bladder problems. That's really interesting. Did you look at any correlations with um, childhood behaviors or constipation? So we didn't um, ask about childhood behaviors. And I think that in hindsight, that's something that we wish that we had asked about um, because there is data suggesting that um, if you have childhood dysfunctions, that is carried through um, into adulthood. We do have, um, we use the ICIQ bowel um, data and we haven't quite gone through all of that data yet. Um, but I think that we're going to find that there is an association between some of the bowel dysfunctions like fecal incontinence and constipation and bladder problems. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing yes, that. Yes, we will. We will be going through that. That's great. So now based on what you found, how do you counsel patients who have quote unquote bladder problems based on your findings? So I now, um, I have sort of this list of things that I tell the all patients um, that come in with urinary incontinence or even urinary tract infections, any, any lower urinary tract symptoms. Um, and part of that now is you need to sit on the toilet in a comfortable, relaxed position. Make sure you're not hovering. Um, you should avoid delaying your voiding. So if you need to go, you should go. Um, and then trying not to strain um, while you're voiding has become kind of part of my repertoire and in counseling women. That's great. Do you find that people are receptive to that or do they say, oh, doc, I really need to strain or I can't empty? Yeah, you know, definitely. And, and those patients sort of perk my ears up a little bit more. Like maybe there's something more going on. Do they have diabetes? Have they ha had prior pelvic surgery? Um, but in general, if you have sort of another, an otherwise neurologically healthy woman, um, you know, I try to, sometimes they'll say like, I try, I don't want to be in the bathroom long. So I, I, strain because I want to void as fast as I can um, just to get out of there. And I try to encourage them to really take a more relaxed um, stance with all of this. That's really great. And I think really helpful for any of our listeners, either counseling patients or patients themselves. I think uh, that's really good advice to follow for a normal and healthy bladder.
Also, I, you wanted to comment that Dr. Kowalik, uh, when I met her, didn't have any children, but now has two beautiful little girls, which is amazing. And I wanted to know, you know, how that's been going through residency and fellowship and having children and, and how you balance it all, because I'm sure that'd be really valuable for some of our listeners. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up, actually, because I get asked this a lot. I almost feel, and I'm sure you feel the same way, like a unicorn <laughs> that I was pregnant during residency. Right, right. Um, and, and I remember when I first met you, actually, you were pregnant. And yep. I kind of was like, wow, Lena is so cool. <laughs> I'm just a little Doing cool. it all. <laughs> kind of cool. She's kind of cool. Um, no, but seriously, I think it um, it really actually made me uh, reevaluate um, what my life goals were. And, and um, I knew that I wanted to have a family. And residency, although a finite amount of time, you know, you're at that prime age of starting a family. And um, it, it can be really hard to juggle. I don't regret it at all for even a second. And um, thankfully, my residency was incredibly supportive um, as I was the first female resident that had had a child during residency in my program. Um, and so there were, you know, a couple of um, sort of paperwork things to figure out. But other than that, um, I was fortunate to have a very healthy pregnancy. And so um, I was able to, you know, continue working um, up until basically the day before. Actually, my water broke rounding. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a good story. <laughs> um, but anyways, too much information probably. Um, no, but I, it's been... Um, great. It's been great for my family um, because it's exactly what I wanted out of life. And it really actually improved my work satisfaction too, because it helped me to realize that my day-to-day is not all about being in the hospital, Um, that there are other things to life. And um, it's really important to, I think, have that, um, whatever it may be, whether it's kids or or a hobby or something else. then going into fellowship, I uh, was pregnant my second year of fellowship. And again, everyone has been nothing but incredibly supportive and, um, you know, whatever I've needed time off wise um, has been provided to me. And I think that's just sort of the Sufu culture too. You know, everyone mm-hmm. is very, very family friendly mm-hmm. here. I completely agree. I, I will say I, I had a similar experience. I was pregnant twice during my residency and delivered the second baby in between residency and fellowship. Um, but I've I've had great support and I think there's no time that's great. So you do it when whatever is right for you. Uh, and, you know, having, having a family is important and probably one of the more important things that you're going to do in life. So uh, make it a priority and, and, and you, it can be done. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. only thing holding you back is your own fear and, and everything mm-hmm. will be accommodated and you'll make your life work the way you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll find um, mentors that will help you and support you and, I, they, so I get a lot of young women that come to me asking, like, you know, how did you do it? And I think that the advice I give is that have a support system in place, whether that is family, whether that is hired support system, friends, whoever, you know, because at the end of the day, you're still a resident. And you still have those obligations um, of working very long hours and taking call and you need somebody that can be there, you know, if you have to get called in the middle of the night. Um, and so it's really, really important, I think, to have that support system sort of established um, as you're 
doing your family planning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you will, I think being a parent forces you to have boundaries and, and put your family as a priority, which in residency is really, really hard to do. But as you become an attending and a fellow, you are able to do that more often. And I think that that's really important because no one's going to advocate for your family, but yourself. And so that's just something you are, you have to learn and it helps you in in every part of your life because if you can make boundaries for your family, you can make boundaries for yourself and avoid things like burnout and other things that, you know, become problematic down the line. So, uh, it's, it's a great thing. It's a great experience. And I think if you're thinking about it, uh, and you're worried about it, we're all worried about it. We all get worried before we have our first kid or our second kid. Um, (laughs) and so I think, you know, you just, you just go for it and you hope for the yep. best and you deal with the challenges as they come. Yep. And you just got to do what's right for you at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you want to find out more about Dr. Kowalik, you can follow her on Twitter and her handle is at CKowalikMD and I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and I'll, you can reach out to her with questions about research, about doing fellowship, um, and about being mom, and she, or just you know being a really cool person. Yeah. Go to Rena for that advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time on today's Google Podcast. Sure to check us out on our website, www.sufu.org.